Welcome to the College Investor Audio Show, where we talk about the biggest issues impacting millennial money, from student loan debt to side hustles to building wealth. We will show you how to get out of debt so that you can build real wealth for the future. Hello and welcome to the show today as we take a look at what's new with student loans in 2023, shall we? All right, so let's learn about several new student loan options that go into effect in 2023. But first, let's go ahead and check on the status of student loan forgiveness. President Biden announced a student loan forgiveness plan on April or August 24th, rather, 2022, where borrowers may qualify for up to 10 grand or 20k in student loan forgiveness. More than 26 million borrowers have submitted the forgiveness application. Of these, 16 million applications have been processed and approved. The president's plan is currently on hold because of lawsuits that seek to block the president's plan. The lawsuits have been appealed, but until the courts rule on these appeals, the future of the president's plan is uncertain. Now we move on to the student loan moratorium and the restart of repayment. So the Biden administration has announced an eighth extension to the payment pause and interest waiver. Collection activity will also be suspended. Repayment will restart 60 days after the lawsuits are resolved, or June 30th, 2023, whichever comes first. This extension means that borrowers will not have to make payments on federal student loans that have been approved for forgiveness unless the U.S. Department of Education loses its appeal of the lawsuits. Borrower Defense to Repayment If a borrower was defrauded by their college under federal or state law, the borrower's federal student loans may qualify for borrower defense to repayment discharge. If the borrower defense to repayment claim is approved, all previous payments will be refunded to the borrower and the loans are completely discharged and federal student aid eligibility will be restored. There are several changes that will take effect on July 1st of 2023 and apply to all pending and new claims on or after that date. First, the Department of Education may decide the borrower defense to repayment claims on a group basis when a bunch of borrowers are similarly affected, instead of requiring case-by-case review of those claims. This is just going to speed up the process. Borrower defense to repayment claims might be based on an expanded set of claims categories, including substantial misrepresentation, substantial omission of fact, breach of contract, aggressive and deceptive recruitment, and judgments or final secretarial actions. The new rules adopt a preponderance of evidence standard where there must be greater than 50% chance that the claim is true. The new regulations ban mandatory arbitration clauses and class action waivers in college contracts with students, and the new regulations require decisions to be made on claims within a certain time period or the loans will be considered unenforceable. The new rules also establish a process for recovering the cost of borrower defense to repayment claims from the colleges. However, a lack of due process and the recovery of discharged claims from the colleges will likely be challenged in court. Previously, all of the borrower defense to repayment claims were made against colleges that had closed and weren't available to oppose the borrower defense to repayment claims. Now let's talk about interest capitalization where interest is charged on interest. This will be eliminated, except when required by statute. Interest capitalization will no longer occur in the following circumstances. 
The first time a borrower enters repayment, when a borrower exists forbearance, when a borrower leaves the pay-as-you-earn, pay-a-y-e, and revised pay-as-you-earn repayment plans. When a borrower is negatively amortized under income contingent repayment, ICR, or an alternative repayment plan, and when a borrower enters default. Interest capitalization can increase the total interest paid over the life of a loan due to compounding interest, which we love in retirement plans, but not when paying student loan debt, especially when the loan amounts are less than the new interest that accrues. So total and permanent disability discharge. New regulations for the total and permanent disability TPD discharge eliminate the three-year post-discharge monitoring period. The U.S. Government Accountability Office, GAO, found that borrowers whose loans are discharged almost never earn more than the poverty line during the post-discharge monitoring period. Rather, borrowers had their discharge loans reinstated because of a failure to file the paperwork, not because their income would have been above the threshold. So these new regulations expand the set of Social Security Administration determination codes that qualify for a TPD discharge. The new regulations also expand the types of allowable documentation and the types of healthcare professionals who can certify that a borrower is totally and permanently disabled. These include licensed nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, and clinical psychologists. Closed school discharge. Borrowers are eligible for a closed school discharge if they are enrolled when the college closed or if they left within 180 days before the closure. The new regulations provide an automatic discharge one year after the college's closure date if the borrower did not accept an approved teach-out or continue their education at another location of the college. Borrowers who accepted a teach-out or continuation but who did not finish will receive a discharge one year after their last date of attendance. Public Service Loan Forgiveness Some aspects of the limited PSLF waiver will be made permanent, expanding the set of qualifying payments. It counts payments that were made late or in partial installments, counts lump sum payments as the equivalent number of full payments, counts certain deferment or forbearance periods, such as the military service deferment, post-active duty deferment, deferment for active cancer treatment, and so on and so forth. The new regulations establish a single standard for full-time employment at 30 hours a week. Adjunct and contingent faculty are considered to have at least 3.35 hours of work per credit hour taught. If a borrower worked for a contractor to a qualifying employer, where state law prohibits direct employment by the qualifying employer, the borrower will be considered to have qualifying employment. When multiple direct loans are included in the federal direct consolidation loan, the number of qualifying payments in the consolidation loan will be the weighted average of the number of qualifying payments in the loans that are consolidated, instead of resetting the qualifying payment count to zero. That's nice. Now let's talk about the Fresh Start initiative. About 7.5 million borrowers were in default before the pandemic. These borrowers are eligible for a fresh start when repayment restarts. Whenever that will be. The default will be removed from the borrower's credit histories and the loans will be returned to a current status when repayment restarts. Phew! Borrowers will regain their eligibility for federal student aid. 
if the borrower does not choose a repayment plan and start making payments under this repayment plan within one year of the restart, their loans will be returned to a default status. Keep that in mind. Bankruptcy discharge. All right, so the U.S. Department of Justice and the Department of Education announced this new policy concerning when they will and will not oppose a borrower's bankruptcy discharge petition for federal student loans. The bankruptcy code allows student loans to be discharged when repaying the student loans imposes an undue hardship on the borrower and the borrower's dependents. The Brunner test defines undue hardship as occurring when a three-prong test is satisfied. One, the borrower must be unable to maintain a minimal standard of living for the borrower and the borrower's dependents while repaying the student loans. Two, these circumstances must be expected to last for most of the loan's repayment term. And three, the borrower must have made a good faith effort to repay the loans. The new policy is aligned with the Brunner test for bankruptcy discharge of student loans. It provides detail that illustrates each of these prongs. For the first prong, the guidance relies on the IRS collection financial standards to assess a borrower's expenses under a minimal standard of living. If these expenses exceed income, the first prong is satisfied. If they don't, but the addition of student loan payments causes that exceeding of income, then they will consider a partial discharge. The guidance includes a rebuttal presumption for the second prong in several circumstances, like if the borrower is 65 or older, has a disability that affects income potential, maybe unemployed for at least five years of the last 10 years, the borrower did not obtain the degree for which the debt was incurred, or the loan has been in repayment for at least 10 years. For the third prong, the guidance establishes objective criteria based on the borrower's payment history and participation in income-driven repayment, in addition to the historical criteria of the debtor's efforts to obtain employment, maximize income, and minimize expenses. Here are some signs of a good-faith effort. Making a payment on the loans? That's a good sign. <laughs> Using deferments or forbearances, like economic hardship deferments, unemployment deferments, things like that, applying for income-driven repayment, applying for a federal consolidation loan, or if a loan servicer contacts you, collection agency, or otherwise, and engages with the borrower, and you respond to those communications, especially with regard to payment options, deferments, and forbearances, or loan consolidation. That's another sign they look for. A borrower can also demonstrate a good-faith effort by seeking assistance with their loans, from a third party, such as a credit or debt counselor. Borrowers who didn't enroll in income-driven repayment can present evidence of certain acceptable reasons, such as they were denied income-driven repayment or discouraged from using income-driven repayment, they were provided with bad information about income-driven repayment, they had a plausible belief that income-driven repayment would not meaningfully improve their financial situation, they were unaware of income-driven repayment. Like, for example, if borrowers who didn't undergo exit counseling because they dropped out of college. They were concerned about the tax consequences of forgiveness at the end of income-driven repayment. This new policy should increase the number of cases where the U.S. Department of Education recommends that a borrower's federal student loans be discharged in bankruptcy.
Now, there's a new income-driven repayment plan we'll touch on real quick before we wrap up for today. The Biden administration has proposed a new income-driven repayment plan that will cut the monthly payment in half for undergrad student loans. The new repayment plan bases the monthly payment on 5% of discretionary income for undergraduate student loans and 10% of discretionary income for graduate student loans. Discretionary income will be based on the amount by which adjusted gross income, AGI, exceeds 225% of the poverty line. 225% of the poverty line is equivalent of a $15 minimum wage for single borrowers. If the borrower's original loan balance was $12,000 or less, the remaining debt will be forgiven after 10 years. For all other borrowers, the remaining debt will be forgiven after 20 years. So the government will pay any accrued but unpaid interest. This will prevent the loan balance from growing when the borrower's payment is less than the new interest that accrues. The need for annual recertification will also be eliminated. And that is great news. And that is our show for today on all that is new with student loans in 2023. If you got lost, I don't blame you. There's a lot of new stuff to touch on. If you want to dive a little bit deeper into all the stuff we talked about today, just copy and paste the title of the podcast right into the search bar at thecollegeinvestor.com. You have questions, comments, you want to get to know us a little bit better, we'd love to be your friend on any social media site. Follow us, like us, all of those things. Just search for The College Investor and you'll find us. Thanks again for stopping by today and we'll talk to you again real soon.